We're grateful for everyone who supports us. Thanks to all our sponsors. This is an ICRT podcast. Enjoy the show. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to a special edition of Taiwan This Week with me, Gavin Phipps, as I talk with Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. Prior to his appointment as Foreign Minister in February of 2018, Wu served as Secretary General to the President and as Secretary General of the National Security Council in the Tsai administration. Wu also served as Taiwan's top envoy to the United States and as the head of the Mainland Affairs Council under former President Chen Shui-bian. And he recently sat down with me at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Taipei for an in-depth interview during which he discussed a myriad of issues ranging from diplomatic ties to trade and defence as well as the foreign minister's goals under his leadership. So let's begin at the beginning and Mm -hmm. when you were appointed foreign minister in February of 2018 did you seek to emulate or take lessons from other well-known states persons either from Taiwan or overseas? Uh, No. Uh, Normally people would like to take some uh, model figure and try to emulate, uh, but it's not my case. Because uh, coming to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is a new experience for me, so I need to learn almost from scratch. Uh, even though I served in the United States as Taiwan's representative to Washington DC for a year, but that's only for a very short period of time. So I need to come into the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and learn how we uh, do things and uh, then I can uh, start planning together with my colleagues in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But over these years, I've seen wonderful figures that I really admire. They may not be in the political world or diplomatic world, uh, and they are somehow, uh, became something uh, I really admire and I want to be uh, just like that. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, your own ICRT's David Wong, I know he passed away a long time ago, but he was a very good friend of mine uh, when I was in uh, academia. Uh, he never went abroad for higher education, but his English was impeccable. Uh, it was like a native. So I look at him and say that I want to be like you, David. And another person also coming from the ICRT is the ambassador phone. Uh, is the chairman of the board. And the reason why I say that was, you know, he's an outstanding diplomat. And I knew him ever since uh, 2002 when I was serving in the presidential office as a deputy secretary general. And he was such a nice guy and he was uh, very capable of, of handling uh, different kind of uh, diplomatic things. He was the chief of protocol officers uh, here in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And when I look at him, and I told myself that if I have a chance to serve in the diplomatic world, I want to be like him. So these are the things that I explore uh, over these years. But coming to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I look at every colleague of ours as an asset to the ministry. And uh, I engage in the intense discussions with them uh, to come up with our policies or strategies. Uh, in order to make uh, the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs work. Right. What were your main aims when you took the post as Foreign Minister? Uh, I started out by looking at uh, some of the small things. Uh, In discussing with our colleagues here in the Ministry, uh, I found that uh, there are some uh, old culture uh, that seem to have a need to be reformed. 
uh, for example, the elevator that you came in uh, with, the small one, uh, used to be reserved for the Minister of Foreign Affairs. And I say, no, that's too much. We need to get rid of that. So it's open to every colleague uh, in the ministry these days. And there are some of the uh, old uh, traditions uh, here in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And after discussing with the colleagues here, and they say that um, might not be reasonable uh, or something that needs to be reformed. And I follow those advices to start reforming uh, these kinds of traditional culture in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And as a result, you can see that the, the ministry is more accessible, it's more open, and it's more lovable, especially to the younger people. Uh, and I also look at our social media as another thing that uh, we need to engage in. You know, look at the international community. Twitter is very popular, but it's not the case here in Taiwan. And uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs does not have a, did not have a Twitter account. So we started the Twitter uh, management, and it went very well. Uh, our MoFA Twitter has become one of the most popular uh, Twitter accounts here in Taiwan, and probably in the East Asia. Uh, when it comes to the uh, Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs or similar organizations. Well, the most popular one is our president. President Tsai's Twitter is uh, gathering uh, almost 2 million followers. And uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is still lagging behind, but uh, we are quite popular, uh, especially those carrying the uh, initial JW. For those tweets uh, that carry the initial JW, uh, those tweets initiated, drafted uh, by me, uh, and they become uh, quite popular, especially among the young people. And another thing that I try to engage in is to speak with uh, the younger colleagues over here. Uh, in the tradition, long tradition of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, you know, the bureaucracy is very deep, and therefore the distance in between the top leader and the basic colleagues over here are very far away. Uh, but to me, you know, that needs to be changed because the younger colleagues seem to have the most inspired ideas. And I speak with them very regularly and try to take their ideas for uh, the conducting of uh, my position or for our policies or our relations with other countries. And all these seem to be quite uh, successful. And now the Ministry of Foreign Affairs seems to be, have more energy uh, than before uh, in running this ministry. And what aims do you have for the future? the rest of President Tsai Ing-wen's term in office? What do you have to, what are your aims for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs? This is a very good question. And I always uh, look at this question, ask myself this question, uh, to see what we can accomplish. Uh, but of course, asking this question, we need to understand the situation we are in and the kinds of need uh, for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to come up with this policy in order to uh, reach that goal. And if you look at Taiwan's international surroundings, you know, we face a very hostile China. Uh, China has been threatening Taiwan militarily, and China has been trying to cut off our international participations, and China is trying to infiltrate into our societies, engage in disinformation campaign and hybrid warfare and etc. And therefore, Taiwan's democracy seems to be under threat, under coercion. And therefore, the need for Taiwan is to make more friends uh, as many friends as possible, uh, and especially those friends who are able to understand Taiwan and to provide support for Taiwan. And because of this uh, comprehensive study in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, we want to consolidate 
our very good relations with the United States. We want to consolidate the very good relations with Japan, and we want to improve uh, our relations with Europe, either EU or European countries. And we have been working on this uh, for three, four years already. And if you look at the results, uh, that seem to be accepted by the Taiwanese people. Our relations with the United States is better than ever, and that has become a public knowledge. Uh, our relations with Japan uh, is also very good. And some of the things that we see uh, have not been happening before. You know, for example, the uh, senior leaders in Japan, uh, normally they don't publicly comment on Taiwan issue. Uh, but these days, their comment on Taiwan issue has become something like they should do it. Uh, for example, beginning from the prime minister to the uh, top cabinet uh, officials, they continue to advocate the importance of peace and stability over the Taiwan Strait. And they continue to advocate that uh, forceful uh, change of status quo, unilateral change of status quo by force is not tolerable. And this kind of statement uh, has not been seen before. And with this kind of uh, very good relations between Taiwan and Japan, I think we have a very sound foundation and we want to continue to improve relations with Japan to make sure that the relations are solid. And we also look at uh, European countries uh, as a very good bastion of uh, uh, democracies that can provide Taiwan with support. And if you listen to uh, some of the uh, senior leaders uh, in Europe, like in the UK, Germany, uh, France, or Central and Eastern European countries, they talk more about Taiwan than ever. And when they talk about Taiwan, they talk about peace and stability over the Taiwan Strait. And they talk about Taiwan as a democracy. They talk about Taiwan as a force for good. And I think this also becomes a very good foundation for us to keep on moving uh, in our relations with uh, Europe. And in Europe, this is something new uh, to many people here in Taiwan. And we particularly admire the Central and Eastern European countries uh, who were used to be under the communist rule, the Russian, uh, the Soviet communist rule. And since they experienced those uh, years of communist rule, uh, they understand the uh, uh, importance to be able to have a democracy. And they also under, understand the situation of a democracy under threat, which is Taiwan. And therefore, they are willing to speak out in a very loud way uh, to show support to Taiwan. So these are the uh, you know, foreign policies that we have been pursuing and with some success so far. And certainly before my term uh, is up in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I would like to continue uh, this kinds of effort uh, to leave to the future uh, ministers of foreign affairs with a very good standing uh, in our relations with fellow democracies. Because of course, we're talking about Japan, Europe and America. Taiwan is seeking free trade agreements or to join trade pacts with all three areas, basically. Yeah? So what steps is your office taking to facilitate Taiwan's being accepted in a free trade agreement with America, the comprehensive and progressive agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership with Japan, and possibly a free trade agreement, not with individual European Union members, but with the European Union as a whole? Mm -hmm. uh, this is a very good question. You know, uh, talking about the trade or economic relations with other countries, uh, FTA may not be the uh, only one. Uh, there are other type of uh, economic cooperation. Uh, 
uh, and in our relations with the United States, even though the United States has withdrawn from the CPTPP or the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, but our economic relations with the United States remains uh, strong and uh, solid. Uh, and because of uh, some of the uh, trade dispute in between Taiwan and the United States, uh, TIFA, Trade and Investment Framework Agreement, uh, has stopped its discussion for a few years. Uh, and we understand that the reason is because of the uh, limitation on the U.S. port to come into Taiwan. And President Tsai was courageous uh, and is willing to uh, spend her own political capital in lifting that uh, restriction. And as soon as we have that restriction lifted, uh, you saw that uh, TIFA, uh, the Trade and Investment Framework Agreement, resumed uh, last June. And we also initiated uh, the Economic Prosperity Partnership Dialogue with the United States. And it's been running very well. And we can discuss the uh, supply chain cooperation uh, resilience and all that issue. And we also established another dialogue with the United States, which is uh, T-Tech, uh, Trade in Technology. Uh, and it's been going very well as well. And recently, we jointly announced the uh, uh, Taiwan-US uh, 21st century trade. And that is very important because uh, the trading relations in between Taiwan and the United States is the most important for us. And we want to continue to facilitate more trade with the United States. So we have that launched, uh, even though we are not uh, in the, uh, uh, the list of the countries to be included in IPEF, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. But with this uh, 21st century uh, trade initiative, uh, we will be able to uh, hold together with the United States to improve our trade relationship. Uh, to supplement or to make it up for not being included in IPEF. And as long as we do it very well in the uh, uh, discussions on this initiative, I think Taiwan will be qualified for this uh, IPEF uh, framework. Uh, and our relations with Japan or uh, Canada or Europe or Australia is the same uh, situation. Uh, even though we do not have an FTA or ECA with Japan or Australia or Canada, but each of us have something in the moving. Uh, for example, our participation in the CPTPP is uh, getting, uh, you know, gathering some momentum. Uh, and Japan has been very supportive of our participation in the CPTPP. Uh, but right now, uh, the key uh, issue uh, for the CPTPP is a section of the UK and therefore we need to wait for the UK to enter in order for Taiwan to be on the agenda for discussion. And our trade relations with or trade and investment relations with Canada is also having some new momentum. Uh, we have an arrangement on FIPA, the protection of uh, foreign investment uh, discussion in between Taiwan and Canada. Uh, we are entering into an exploratory uh, face right now. And if we are able to uh, have that uh, agreement sealed, that is going to significantly improve the trade and improve uh, and investment relations with Canada. Uh, Europe is a very important market. And Europe to Taiwan is the number one investor uh, here in Taiwan. And therefore, we're constantly thinking about how we can improve the trade and investment relations with uh, Europe. And Europe has discussed about that BIA, the Bilateral Investment Agreement with Taiwan for a long time. 
uh, but we haven't formally launched it yet, but we have started to explore how we can uh, start the discussion so that the trade and investment agreements or trade and investment relations between Taiwan and Europe uh, can uh, improve further. And this is uh, going to be all good for us if we can uh, pursue all this. And we have seen some of the things already uh, moving somewhere, and we just need to uh, continue to make hard effort in this regard. And what about the elephant in the room being China? Where, where, do, you, where do you stand on trade and business ties with China? Uh, some people's description is that uh, we have uh, too much trade with China uh, or uh, our investment in China has already gone too far. Uh, a few years ago, if you look at the statistics, uh, the investment coming or Taiwan's foreign direct investment going out, uh, China is our number one target. And about 70-80% of Taiwan's outbound investment goes to China. Uh, but I think the situation has been changing. Uh, China is also Taiwan's number one trading partner for years. And for a very hostile uh, Chinese government, uh, with such extensive trade and investment relations, may not be that natural. Uh, but you know, Taiwan is a democracy. We cannot tell people, tell our businessmen that no, you cannot go there. You have to go other places. You know, Taiwan is not an authoritarian state like China, and therefore we need to rely on uh, the business world here in Taiwan to understand the real situation, and we provide some uh, basic information for them to know that there are other alternatives alternatives like you know, Southeast Asia or India or South America or Europe and that seem to have some very good results. For example, our investment in Southeast Asia, in India, in Mexico and etc. have been increasing. Our investment in the Europe has also been uh, increasing tremendously. And I think another factor has to do with China itself. Uh, the Chinese market uh, seem to be slowing down and the uh, overall business environment seem to be deteriorating and our businessmen are very smart when they think that uh, it's no longer profitable to work in China or to do business in China naturally they will try to find another alternative and the responsibility of the government is to provide them the information about those alternatives. And of course you mentioned Southeast Asia I mean how well is the new southbound policy doing? Because, of course, it's, it's had its detractors. Many people have been critical of it. Uh, our uh, relations or our policy on New Southbound policy uh, has been going rather well. Uh, if you look at the trade, investment, people-to-people -people exchange, or uh, quiet uh, official exchanges in between Taiwan and New Southbound policy countries, actually, they are going very well. Uh, for example, we have attracted more students coming from the New Southbound countries uh, more than ever. Uh, just give you one example, India. Uh, the Indians, uh, especially those who are in higher education, they love to come to Taiwan. Uh, recently, I checked uh, the new figure. We have more than 800 uh, Indian scholars working in Academia Seneca. And this seems to be the uh, largest uh, Indian academic community uh, anywhere you can find. So this is an uh, attraction of Taiwan. And because of the new Southbound policy, uh, we make more investment to these uh, countries and they also come to uh, look at Taiwan. 
as a place for investment. And the businessmen in uh, between Taiwan and the New South Wales policy countries are traveling more often than ever uh, in the securing the business opportunities. And students, as I said a little bit earlier, you know, uh, students coming to Taiwan for higher education uh, is also increasing tremendously. So for our own uh, calculation or study, uh, New South Wales policy uh, is a uh, tremendous success. And one of the most successful one is actually India. And all kinds of figures are increasing and the relations are going very well. But are you concerned about Beijing asserting itself? Obviously, recently in Cambodia, there's talk of China opening a military base. Vietnam-China ties are not too are right, OK, we'll call them. But of course, it still comes under the influence of Beijing. Uh, China's influence is everywhere. You know, in order for Taiwan to uh, understand the situation it is in, we need to do an overall assessment of the situation. And our overall assessment of the situation is that the Chinese influence is everywhere. Uh, the Chinese influence in the Southeast Asia, in South Asia, in Africa, in Central Asia, or in the Pacific, is growing. It's growing tremendously. And uh, in many places, uh, they are in uh, serious competition with the United States. And in some places, their influence seems to be more than uh, what the United States can exercise. Even in Central and South America, I would like to point out that China may be exercising more influence in some countries these days. Uh, there is a growing leftist trend in Central and South America. And all these leftist countries, when they are elected, they want to do more business with China rather than the United States. So this is an overall situation we are in. Uh, we are not going out there to compete with China, but I think we are going out there to show to all these countries uh, what Taiwan stands for and the kind of opportunities uh, Taiwan can provide. Uh, you mentioned about Vietnam. Uh, this is a country that we have a lot of uh, investment in and a lot of Taiwanese are actually going over there for a business and therefore other than the uh, very sensitive type of uh, diplomatic relations, our relations with Vietnam actually are doing rather well. And this is the same with uh, many other countries. As long as uh, we are careful in uh, managing our relations with these uh, countries, uh, who China seem to have uh, a lot of uh, influence to exercise, I think Taiwan is doing rather okay. Uh, you know, Philipp the Philippines is another example. Uh, under President Duterte, um, the Philippines seems to be in very friendly terms with China, but uh, in a very quiet way. Uh, we are getting rather uh, well with the Filipinos. So this is uh, the way we do it. Uh, and if you look at the Chinese influence, and this is something that uh, the free world need to be concerned about. Uh, try to focus on the Pacific, for example. Uh, the Chinese threat against Taiwan is not just the one country that is sustaining the Chinese threat. Uh, China is also challenging East China Sea. China is also challenging the uh, South China Sea. And recently we saw the incidents of uh, Chinese warplanes intercepted the Canadian uh, patrol airplanes in East China Sea and the Australian patrol airplane in the South China Sea. And they engaged in the very provocative and dangerous acts against these uh, regular patrols. 
And China is also trying to uh, move beyond the first island chain to go into the wide Pacific. And recently, they have signed a security agreement with the Solomon Islands. And that seemed to be a awakening call for many countries that have a stake in free and open Indo-Pacific, such as uh, Australia, uh, New Zealand, Japan, and the United States. So China's expansion or China's expansion of its authoritarian influence is something that we need to pay attention to. And for this regard, Taiwan would like to uh, continue to engage in the discussions or dialogues uh, with the friendly countries who have a stake in peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific or free and open Indo-Pacific. And what steps is your office as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs taking to ensure that more countries don't get poached by Beijing in the Pacific and Central South America? Uh, this is a very important question. You know, we only have uh, 14 diplomatic allies left, and every one of them is a treasure to us. And the reason is because these diplomatic allies are able to speak out for Taiwan in a very direct way uh, when it comes to our participation in international organizations, whether it's the World Health Organization or the UN or ICAO or UNFCCC and etc. And they've been speaking in a very direct way for Taiwan. And therefore, maintaining good relations with these uh, diplomatic allies is very important for us. Uh, and it's a very significant part of my uh, portfolio or the uh, responsibility of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And for maintaining diplomatic relations with these uh, very good friends of Taiwan, these allies of Taiwan, uh, we need to continue to speak with them to make sure they understand that Taiwan is helping them directly, especially helping those people uh, in the, their countries, uh, rather than just you know like what China has been uh, very good in doing, you know, bribing the top politicians in order to consolidate their political relations with uh, their diplomatic allies. Uh, we don't do that. What we do is to engage in serious discussions with these countries and try to provide some areas of support that can benefit uh, the people directly. Uh, the things we do uh, rather successfully would include uh, digitization of their medical services. And it's been very successful. You know, we're extending to more and more countries. Uh, we're also providing uh, technical support for agriculture. You know, uh, food security is a very serious issue these days. And we are engaging with our diplomatic allies to make sure that they are able to sustain themselves uh, to avoid the uh, impact of the uh, food crisis. So this is what we do. And the Taiwan uh, support for the diplomatic allies is becoming something that we call Taiwan model. And Taiwan model now has been uh, studied in more careful way by other countries like the United States or European countries. Uh, and uh, many of these countries now are talking about uh, joining projects with Taiwan to support all these uh, countries that have uh, diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And we'll continue to work very hard in this Taiwan model uh, so that Taiwan model stands in a very shining way uh, that international community understand that Taiwan support means Taiwan support people directly. Are you, are you planning to take the Taiwan model to non-diplomatic allies? Recently there's been lots of talk about Taiwan helping Ukraine and other Eastern European countries, for example, where you've been moving into and doing good trade things and having good talks with. Do you think the Taiwan model could be exported to those areas as well? Yes, uh, we have been doing that. 
we don't have diplomatic relations with Fiji or with uh, Papua New Guinea, but we have our technical mission uh, in those two countries, and they are running very successfully. And those uh, technical missions are being studied by you know, EU or by other countries, uh, and they are thinking about how they can uh, cooperate with Taiwan. And it's very interesting that you mentioned about Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is a very unfortunate situation uh, that an authoritarian country uh, attacked a democracy without any provocation. And when we see the footages of the war uh, in Ukraine, uh, the regular people here in Taiwan were impacted. And therefore, they say they want to help. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs become uh, a, a very important vehicle for the regular people to provide support to the Ukrainians. Uh, in addition to the government who is trying to uh, make support directly, uh, the regular people also engage in uh, donations. They want to donate material, they want to donate uh, money, and uh, we set up an account to accept the money donation. Uh, altogether it's about 33 million US dollars, that's quite a lot and the material support uh, donated by the regular people amount to around uh, 600 tons. Uh, and all these are being channeled to uh, either the Ukrainian refugees or to Ukraine itself uh, for the donated material. They have gone all directly to Ukraine to help the people inside Ukraine. And for most of the uh, money donations, uh, they went to uh, the countries surrounding Ukraine who have uh, uh, opened their doors for the Ukrainian refugees, including Poland, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, and uh, also the three Baltic states. And we try to uh, provide support to these countries through the public donation so that they can provide support to the Ukrainian refugees. And uh, we also try to uh, support the Ukrainians inside Ukraine. So I spoke with the mayor of Kyiv uh, several weeks ago, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I also spoke with the mayor of uh, uh, Kharkiv, the second largest city. And uh, we donated uh, not only money to the city, but also to the medical institutions that care for those wounded by the war. And uh, I think the uh, Ukrainians understand the treasure of uh, Taiwanese support. So this is how uh, Taiwanese government, all the Taiwanese people, uh, try to help those uh, who are suffering from the war uh, in Ukraine. And I'm sure when uh, the Ukrainians wake up and say that who is helping us, Taiwan will be one of the countries that they would name. And I think there are more and more uh, people uh, discussing about this issue these days. And I see the name Taiwan is being raised more and more uh, we are not asking for anything in return. We are not asking for diplomatic relations. No, that's not what we are asking for. We just want to help. And if they notice that Taiwan helps, you know, that's something that we want. What about more military forms of aid? Obviously not armor lights and weapon systems, but technology for weapon systems, bulletproof vests, mm. helmets, things like this. Uh, we have discussed uh, these kinds of support to Ukraine. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we need those equipments as well. Uh, and we may not have uh, extra uh, equipments to donate to uh, Ukraine. 
And therefore, the decision is that we need to focus on the humanitarian assistance, like money or the uh, material. Would you be concerned about donating more military-oriented equipment to Ukraine? Do you think that could ba- possibly, if you decided to do it, bulletproof vests, for example, do you think that could backfire on Taiwan? Uh, we actually don't worry that much about uh, the backfire. Uh, we sustain the Chinese pressure, the Russian pressure all the time. Uh, but I think we are trying to support in the area that we are good at. Uh, for example, the public donation or the government donation or the materials that we can send to Ukraine. And since we are doing very well in those areas, and we'll continue to do those. And another area, actually, what we have been uh, trying very hard is to apply pressure along with other uh, democracies against the Russian aggression against uh, Ukraine. Uh, for example, condemnation. You know, Taiwan is among the first countries in this part of the world to uh, condemn the Russians. And Taiwan is uh, one of the first countries in this part of the world to join the uh, sanctions uh, against Russia. We want to make sure that none of the product made in Taiwan is going to become part of the Russian war machine. And so far, it's been uh, very successful. And I'm sure the Ukrainians or the Europeans in general understand the contribution of Taiwan in this regard. And of course, when Russia first invaded Ukraine, many people likened the Ukrainian situation to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. But other people were very quick to come out and point, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. Uh, Taiwan and Ukraine you know, are like 10,000 miles apart. And uh, Ukraine has a long border uh, with Russia, but Taiwan is surrounded by water. Uh, separated uh, with China for about 100 nautical miles. So uh, natural situation is different. Uh, and Taiwan is more important geostrategically. Uh, if you look at the first island chain, you know, Taiwan happens to be in a key position. Uh, and so strategically, Taiwan is more importantly located. And moreover, Taiwan is also a high-tech powerhouse. Uh, you know, it's not just Taiwan called itself, it's the uh, U.S. government called Taiwan a uh, high-tech powerhouse. And because of our production of the uh, uh, high-end computer chips, uh, it's going to be devastating not only to Taiwan but to the rest of the world if Taiwan is attacked by China. So this is uh, the situation that we see that are different in between Taiwan and Ukraine. But the similar thing is that, uh, you know, while uh, Ukraine uh, sustain the Russian aggression. Taiwan is, has been uh, under the Chinese military threat and international pressure uh, for all these years. And there's a possibility that China may launch a war against Taiwan. And we want to try and prevent the war from taking place. But at the same time, if China wants to launch a war against Taiwan, we want to be fully ready uh, to resist the Chinese attack against us. You know, we want to uh, purchase a uh, sufficient, sufficient amount of uh, self-defense, self-defense uh, equipments. Uh, we want to engage in uh, asymmetric warfare. Uh, we want to be able to mobilize our reserve of our civilians uh, in order to defend ourselves. The fighting spirit that we are inspired by the Ukrainians has been here, and we are ready to defend ourselves. But then there's been lots of questions in recent years about A, U.S. commitment to Taiwan, B, the weapons systems it sells to Taiwan. And there's also been some controversy, some rather pointed questions about Taiwan's actual military capability and its reserve force. 
we have been uh, working very hard in reforming our military in the last few years. And I think result is uh, quite substantial. And we are also engaging in the uh, reform of our strategies and uh, still in the process. And we try to buy the, the kind of uh, defensive articles uh, for us to be able to uh, defend ourselves, especially those articles that are considered asymmetric. So all these things are being uh, ongoing. And what we would need from the United States or other uh, democratic partners is to continue to make available to Taiwan the kinds of uh, defensive articles that we need for our self-defense. And so far, the United States has been uh, living up to the commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act and the six assurances. And we are very grateful that the United States will provide arms to Taiwan, sell arms to Taiwan, and along with the arms sale, you know very well, uh, there's maintenance cooperation, there's training cooperation, and all these are being uh, going very well. And we appreciate that all these uh, arms uh, procurement uh, have uh, beefed up our defense capabilities. And as long as there are uh, military cooperation uh, for Taiwan, uh, I think this uh, is going to empower Taiwan to be able to defend itself. And another thing that uh, we look at the international community, especially their reaction to the Ukrainian crisis or the Ukrainian war, is that uh, many countries that are providing support to Ukraine. And this is something that we need to explore to make sure that when China uh, is initiating a war against Taiwan, we also have uh, international support. Uh, we not only uh, will secure support from the United States, but also from other like my countries that are supporting uh, Ukraine. We want them to support Taiwan just as a way they support Ukraine. And it's not sending people to fight for Taiwan. We understand very well that defending Taiwan is our own responsibility, but we need international support, uh, moral support or material support and whatever kinds of support they can provide to Taiwan, you know, is going to be highly appreciated. I mean, God forbid should that scenario actually happen, but do you, do you really see like European countries sending weapons systems and arms to Taiwan, Japan sending weapons systems to, and to, and arms to Taiwan, or even if the global countries got together to like stop imports and exports to China, do you think that would really deter Beijing? Uh, I think Beijing is looking at the situation in Ukraine and taking that into own, uh, their own calculus. What they see is uh, weapons and support going to Ukraine and economic sanctions and condemnations against Russia. And it's highly likely that it's going to repeat if China launches an attack against Taiwan. Uh, if the support coming to Taiwan is not more so than the, the support to uh, Ukraine. Uh, but of course, you mentioned the Europe uh, support for Taiwan. It's quite far away. And therefore, uh, the kinds of support coming from Europe for Taiwan may not be as the same as uh, the European support for Ukraine. After all, you know, Ukraine is uh, right on the frontier of Europe. Uh, but if you look at the uh, uh, strategies or policies or their actions by the European countries, uh, I'm sure you will agree with me that European countries are now looking at Indo-Pacific as an area they need to pay attention to. EU now has an 
Indo-Pacific strategy. Germany, UK, France, uh, even the Netherlands have uh, their own uh, Indo-Pacific strategy. And I know that there are several other countries that are coming up with uh, their own uh, Indo-Pacific strategy as well. And when they rolled out their Indo-Pacific strategy, they point to the peace and stability of the Taiwan Strait as being uh, very important for them. And they look at Taiwan as a very important partner uh, for them to work with. And in addition to that, uh, you saw uh, quite a few countries in Europe now sending their ships to this area to conduct freedom of navigation operations. That is to show to China that it should not initiate any kind of aggression against any other countries in this region. The UK has sent its aircraft carrier to this region in a very high profile way last year. The French government did that too. The Germany, uh, also, Germany also sent one ship to this area, the Netherlands, and etc. They conducted freedom of navigation operations with their Navy for naval forces, uh, together with the United States and Japan. And I think this uh, uh, show of very strong determination to safeguard peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific. But then there's always a lack of Taiwan being invited to take part in these exercises. Because obviously countries, there's a question of what will China do if we hold a joint exercise with Taiwan's Navy? Uh, there's al always a balance uh, that all countries need to uh, undertake. Uh, they understand maybe there's going to be a Chinese reaction, or maybe there will be reactions uh, by other countries if Taiwan becomes a part of it. You know, for example, in the IPEF that I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, Taiwan's participation in IPEF is going to make a few countries nervous and therefore uh, the arrangement for Taiwan is something else. That is to have a trade initiative with the United States and that's going to uh, benefit Taiwan directly. But at the same time, Taiwan will reserve a potential to become uh, a member of IPEF. It's the same with these uh, joint exercises. Uh, it's going to be good if Taiwan is invited, but our security cooperation with the United States, that is the most substantial one. Right, one final question. I mean, do you ever see Beijing actually coming to you and your government and saying, hey, let's have a sit down, let's have a chat? Uh, it'll be good if they do that. <laughs> but I don't see that kind of possibility because uh, they have already said it uh, in a very unequivocal way. Uh, that we need to accept the one China principle as a precondition and we have to accept the uh, one country two system model as a way of uh, the uh, uh, arrangement in between Taiwan and China. But of course in any kind of uh, negotiation, uh, if you accept uh, the end result, if there's going to be an end result, end results as the uh, precondition for negotiation, you, know, you lose anyway. One China, two China means Taiwan is part of them. And therefore, if Taiwan accepts that one China principle as the precondition for the negotiations, you know, it's the end of Taiwan, it's the end of free Taiwan. Taiwan is going to be like Hong Kong. There's no you know, uh, return uh, from uh, that end. And therefore, our uh, way of uh, putting it out has always been the same. We are willing to speak with China, uh, to negotiate for a peaceful settlement between the two sides, but uh, accepting, wanting Taiwan to accept the precondition is not a good starter. 
in uh, and, and the president has already said in a very clear way, you know, we want to uphold the status quo. And the status quo means that the ROC Taiwan and the PRC have no jurisdictions uh, with each other. And differences need to be worked out in a peaceful way. And any kind of resolution needs to have the assent of the Taiwanese people. And that is very important one. Taiwan is a democracy. And therefore, the future of Taiwan should be decided by the Taiwanese people. You've been listening to a Taiwan This Week special edition here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps, as I talked with Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. Thanks for tuning in to this week's show, and we'll be returning to our regular format next week. But don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app, where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.